but also you have to balance you are this police officer and there's a certain expectation and responsibilities that right. come a police officer um i don't know man like i ain't gonna lie i couldn't do it man because i, I think the streets would have yeah. too much man like nah man like this it, it just ain't never been cool, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, plus, plus you a little bit of a hothead. He's, uh, yeah. Man, I ain't gonna lie. Nah, never mind. You be, you be done popping. You, you be out here like the wire, dog. Like, <laughs> yeah. Robbing drug dealers. And... Hey. Yeah. He quit, nah, he'd be, like, uh, he'd be like Denzel, man. He'd be riding around all clean. Oh, I was just gonna say Alonzo, man. Yeah, so, yeah. He, he would know, clearly it be took me, It took me. It wasn't until I got a little older that I realized that that was only one day. That was a hell of a day, man. That was a hell of a day. Hops and Stocks podcast is presented by 100 Spoke Media Group. We encourage our listeners to drink responsibly. Please note, we are not financial advisors. We do not offer or provide financial advice. Welcome back to the Hops and Stocks podcast brought to you by 100 Spoke Media Group. This is episode 77. Uh, we will have a special guest today, uh, Keon, Will Keon Wheeler. Um, so he should be joining us here pretty soon. Our man Doug couldn't join tonight, dealing with some weather-related issues. Shout out to that man. Yeah. Yeah, man. <clears throat> How's everybody week going? Uh, you know, good Fridays is Friday. <laughs> Um, we're, I'm not yeah. off, so you know <laughs> it is what it is. Oh, we got we got Keon yeah. running right now. Here he is. Just in the building. What's happening, brother? Y'all all right? Yes, yeah. sir. Good. We, we literally just introed the show, so we about to uh kick off these two beer reviews. Um then we go uh slide it to you and and, and hop into this conversation. I'm saying so. Oh, you're not even cracked, me though. Huh, you oh, you heard, oh, you heard that? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I see you. I see you. Like, <laughs> like this man is like, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be low. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what's your time, right? I was about to say how we always do about this time, but this man's not even ready for his time. <laughs> I thought Eric was gonna give me a little bit of leeway. <laughs> nah, man. When you see them shoulders up like that, you know a man's cracking. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so right, I'm ready now. Let me, Go let, ahead. Let, let me properly introduce my guy, like we always do about this time, Mr. What's in this can? Yeah, bro. Yeah, so definitely going to talk about this one. Uh, this is ISO Heaven. As Eric said in pre-pod, it looks like a tattoo artist did it, and he's exactly right. It's the Indian Pale Ale IPA 7.2. It's from uh, Toxic Brew. In the Oregon district, if you've been to Dayton, Ohio, you've been to the Oregon, it's right next to Ned Peppers. I poured him up on camera, try to be low. <laughs> and you see yeah, that solid dude. pour. Say yeah. something about that. Say something about that that glass, eh? No, nobody's saying nothing about it because you you always do this when we got some <laughs> you know, you want to try to show out in front of company, man. Like <laughs> you already know what the energy is when you do that, man. So go he ahead. normally hates. Man, go ahead, man. <laughs> See y'all mad he get. 
But anyway, y'all see what it is. That can't arrest color. you in Ohio, man. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. Um, you see that maize color? Uh, it's kind of strong. At 7.2, I didn't expect it to be that strong. But it's got to be a little bit of uh, bite on the back end. Um, I like this IPA. I mean, it ain't do too much to it. It's pretty much right on par with all of them. All the other ones just got a little bit more bite to it. Um, solid four. Had a bad experience at this brewery last time. Me and uh, E had to walk out on them. But, you know, <laughs> it's a solid offering from them. So once again, this is uh, ISO Heaven. IPA 7.2 Toxic Brew, solid four. Looks like their artwork is right on par with your experience there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. She <laughs> got their blast. All right, man, I'm excited. Uh, I got probably my favorite brewery in the house with me tonight. That's uh, Southern Tier, checking in out of Lakewood, New York. Um, I, I bought a challenge to the table. Tonight, we got the Peanut Butter Cup Imperial Stout, 10%. Uh, We all know who's the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to peanut butter stouts. That would be UA. Um, Like I said, this is probably my favorite brewery. Um, I haven't had too many misses from there. So I'm excited to see what this tastes like. Although, I will say, the, the initial nose, not anymore, the nose is great, but the initial nose came off a little bit chemically, so... Hopefully that didn't translate into the brew, but we'll see. Yeah, it smells amazing. We'll see now, though. Hmm. Oh, what? Yeah, I think we, I think we got a contender. Um, I still have some UA, so I'll I'll go buy some, and we can do it blind. Yeah, I might uh I might go by and pick up some more just so we all can have the experience. It's a little it's a little it's ten percent and that's that's not where it's light in the ass. It's a little light in the ass on the that feel that you guys talk about. Um well, no, it's, just, it's just not as thick as you'd like it to be. <laughs> um but flavor wise, it's there. Um <laughs> I don't know so much if you're getting peanut butter, but you're definitely getting that peanut taste. Um, and then, you know, with most stouts, there's always a little bit of a chocolateness to it. So I think you got a good blend going here. Um, not too overly jig. I, I do wish the actual liquid was a little heavier. That's a porter? I mean, or a stout? It's a stout. stout. Imperial stout, yeah. I like this joint, man. I'm going to give it. I'm gonna give it a four and a half. There is a there is a slight, slightly maybe off-putting taste. I don't know if that's the the PB or whatever they use to make that flavor, but it's it's not it's not as bad as what it initially smelled when I opened the cap. But I do think you know there's a little bit of kind of a chemical taste. Whatever it was they they did to make the flavor, but it's but still a good beer. Um, so yeah, I stick with four and a half. Solid. Yeah, and I, it'd be interesting to see what you guys think about it. I, I'll definitely pick up a couple more. Dig it! I can dig it. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna forego my beer review tonight 
but I do want to give a shout out to my dude Drew who slid me this can. Uh it's called Fire. It's by Firestone. Um Herbalita. And it's a salted caramel barrel aged stout with vanilla beans, cocoa nibs, and sea salt. Checking in at 9.2. And they're out of Paso Robles, California. Mm. Um, I may chime back in later. It's only been open for about 40 minutes. So I wanna, you know what I'm saying, let it let it let it marinate a little bit. It's funny how you say you're gonna bypass the review, but then do a review. <laughs> I, I, I said nothing about it. I just only, said, only, only thing you didn't do is, is rate it. What you said? I didn't, I, I, I didn't tell you nothing about what I thought about this beer, man. I just told you what it was. Uh, you was really showing out for company, man. <laughs> but man, like, a, like I said earlier, we want to introduce, you know what I'm saying, our guest, Keon Willer. Um, Keon is a is a police officer in Michigan and recently published author. Uh, I was fortunate enough to pick up the book two weeks ago, but true transparency, I didn't get a chance to read it until last night. But it speaks to the the quality of the book because I got all the way through like some of my pages right up until you got to the point where you start having people write letters to you. So I think I got the, the crust of the book read. Um, so Keon, we want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. Um, but let me give a little bit of backstory. Um, <clears throat> Keon is a, is a friend of, of Jay Brown, who's been on the show, uh, AC's brother, who's been on the show three times. Um, and Jay commented on a episode that we did related to the Tyree Nichols case. And he was like, man, you need to holler my dude, Keon. And I'm like, okay. He was like, man, you know, he's a, he's a, he was a police officer with the Flint, Michigan PD. And he got a so he got a story to tell. So I was like, bet. I was like, this is this should make for good content. So man, I'm excited to talk to you. I actually I took notes on your book last night. So I got questions. We ain't gonna light into you too much, man. But we do wanna obviously talk about, you know, your background and things you've been through. And then you some hop into some more of, of the current events and and get your perspective on what's going on in the climate of, you know, policing in America. For sure. So, uh, Keon, Keon Wheeler, I'm a Flint, uh, Michigan native. Uh, um, I worked for the, uh, the Flint, uh, 2017, uh, to 2021 years there. Uh, when I was prior to getting on the Flint Police Department, they retired from the Flint Police Department back in uh, 2010. He just recently retired within like the last year. Or so I, um, police. So, um, once I graduated college, you know, where I went to U of M, that's actually where I met Jay Brown. He was like one of my mentors there from U of M uh, after my second degree I really didn't know to get into so I guess I hopped into the family business so to speak um, I that out for a minute and I liked it you know I liked being you know I knew people uh, from similar experiences and whatnot I felt like I had a lot to um, just the, the, the public um, but after 
strong and seeing some of the same things like the violence over and over and over again. I realized it was kind of time to make a shift because I felt like it was starting to weigh on my mouth. And that's not something we really talk a lot about, you know, as as uh, as police officers. It's kind of like one of the things where it's like, you know, if you deal with it or or quit because you can't handle it. So, um, um, the Oakland County Sheriff's Office um, down in uh, Pontiac now, and I've been down there for almost two years. So. Um, I was um, a school resource officer inside of uh, Pontiac. Uh, so I enjoy that. I've always liked working with kids. I feel like they're the most, and they're not as set in their ways as as adults are. And it's a, it's a lot of room for growth. So like my passion has always been just kind of giving back to the youth. So I've always tried to do that and perform. So. That's pretty much a little bit about me. But, um, so I'm gonna hop right off into in, into the book, man. Now I know you mentioned that you you grew up in a you know a a home where your dad was a police officer, um, and in reading the book, one of the things that I was kind of not necessarily perplexed by, but one of the things that that caught me off guard was your perception of the police. Uh, you talked about it how. I'll let you elaborate on it, but you had a different perspective of the police versus, you know what I'm saying, the people from your neighborhood and, or, you know what I'm saying, like close friends and stuff like that. Right. So, um, when I, when I looked at it from like, uh, he, how I saw him in that role, it was like, you know, it was something I know, um, just cause like growing, growing up, growing up through school, knew like, oh, your dad's bed, he's twelve, and this and that. So <laughs> they kind of teased me a lot enough, but they knew he was cool. So they was like, oh, he cool, like he ain't like the rest of them. That was like my dad and like some of his coworkers was like some of my only interest. So growing up in Flint, obviously. When I got to college age or dry, I would get pulled over from time to time by different police agencies, redirect my my mindset, you know, because I'm like, dang, you know, like mom here treat me like I'm a criminal, you know what I'm saying? I got I got license registration. All of the encounter I had was always like a it always kinda left me like, dang, like wheels. And so I had enough of those encounters and I was like, okay, I got the bright idea. Like, okay, maybe if I, if I join the ranks, you know, I'd be able to change the narrative. Um, and then I found out surely a short time after that, me a long time to do that. Cause it's just, you know, it's just kind of like the system, man. Um, and even with the amount of, you know, black officers that you do, enough of us that's willing to, you know what I'm saying, stand up and just uh, speak against the that we see as it relates to, like, racial profiling and things of that nature. Yeah, talk about, uh, that's, that's a good point you make. Talk about 
what it is to be an officer and also, you know, experiencing things that from your perspective are, are being done incorrectly. And then, you know, what the process is to speak out about those things or how difficult it might be to speak out or even try to get changes made um, to certain policies. So um, just to speak on the policies first, like, so most um, are in, most organizations have been kind of like, you know, written in years, you know, every, every so often do they go and revise them and change things based on like, or whatever uh, that might come up, that might prompt them to make some changes. I feel like it was always a, a struggle because I felt like I, I've had to choose, like, do I want to be a black man? Do I want to be a police officer, right? So community, at least in the plant community, was like, I already knew what the expectation was. What they thought of me, it was just kind of like, oh, you, you were Uncle Tom ass dude, you know, wrong team and this, that, and the third. Why, why you join that? Um, and I would always find, you know, like explain my reasoning for why I was doing it, not realizing that no matter what, because they already had enough negative encounters with the police to them seeing me a black man in uniform just almost kind of made the situation kind of what to expect from a white officer but seeing a black officer was like it was still like i don't mess with y'all still you know um so a while to find that balance and just realize that you know you can you go out there you try to treat everybody fair and I mean that's pretty much all you times that and I actually do talk about this in the book um that I have seen other officers do things that were criminal, you know, speaking out was kinda like frowned upon, you know, because it was like that little blue wall of silence and all that stuff you hear yeah. in movies and stuff like that. That's what I wanted to talk about too. <laughs> so that that's a real thing huh this blue wall man it's it's a real thing for sure and it's it's just like you know it's just like it was it's similar to like the streets you know it's like if if you're in the streets and you're doing you're not you're not supposed to tell on on your people and it, it's the same expect um on the officer side you know it's like, okay, if we do something wrong or we get caught investigation or whatever it is, like, we supposed to be on the same team, you know, even the integrity. And that was just something I wasn't really willing to do, you know, so I didn't. And the time that I did, uh, I got flashed for it. So this, this blue wall affects how affects an officer into doing or not doing the right thing? Is that what you're trying to say? In a way? It's like a code of silence, man. It's, that's pretty much all it is. Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil type thing. So it's like, yeah, he's not going to be the one to say, 
um, that officer did that, they're going to have to just figure it out. A lot of times it kind of comes down to, like, it would be, like, my word against the, the city. And if it ain't no video evidence, which which is not confidence now, considering that we got body cams and mics and dash cams and stuff like that, it kind of hide those types of um, scenarios, you know. It's like, this is going to come to light now. Um, you know, we're required to wear body cams, required to, you know, have mics. If you caught doing something um, you're not supposed to be doing, I mean, they ain't really just like the the Tyree um, Nichols situation, like, that was all on body cams and dash cams. So it's like, how can you hide that? You know what I'm saying? It seemed like the most damning evidence in that Tyree Nichols, it, it didn't really come from a body cam. It came from that, that tower cam. Because you couldn't yep. really tell from the, from the body cam, like, exactly what was going on. But when you saw it from that tower, you saw exactly what was going on and I know every time I've ever been pulled over by police, if it's a white officer, I'm nervous. But right. if it's somebody that looks like us, I'm not as nervous. But after watching the right. Tyree Nichols incident, I'm like, hey, <laughs> they all the same to me now. <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> right. It's kind of really put us in a bad, it put us in a bad spot, you know, uh, you see situations like that happen, and you like, whenever I ain't gonna lie, whenever I'm lying about police brutality, like I always assume it's a white officer. I never, I never assume that it's a black officer. So before I even watched it, I had like briefly scanned, skimmed over the headlines, but I didn't even watch it, you know, because I don't really like brutality videos. It's just like triggering for me. I just. Yeah. I don't watch it, but for this one, you know, they were all black officers, and then they dropped it on CNN. I watched it, and I covered it because I was just like, man, that's just that's just crazy that you know that they was in a situation like that would just do that to a person, you know, and um, passed away from it. So it's like now it's like. I feel like black officers are at a disadvantage because they're still like a white dominated field. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, I mean, I would say it's similar to Flint in terms of like the ethnic groups, you know, with it being a predominantly minority size, it just, you know, they have a lot of uh, work there. So you just would assume that they would understand like today and they just will make, you know, better decisions. But it's easy to get caught up to just do what you want to do, you know, because a lot of people don't know. They don't know their rights for real. They just ain't trying to go to jail. (laughs) 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 They trying to go to jail. I feel it, you know. I'm like, in today's climate, I might be trying to get, you know, I'm not trying to get, um, you know, assaulted or whatever because I feel now as a cop, like, I've been pulled over multiple times, like, while being a sworn off. I get nervous. I still get nervous. I can't really shake it. 
And I got a whole bad thing. And I'm like, man, let me make sure my license and insurance and everything is right because I wanted to turn into nothing. Because I know, like, what that what that perception is. You know, they're going to see me earrings on. I got in summertime, I got detached on. They ain't going to think I'm no cop unless they see, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you think it comes from, like, fear? Like, they just don't know except in what they see in like rap videos and then I'm um, because black folks is vilified on the six o'clock news every day. So do you think it, a lot of that yeah. stuff comes from like fear? I, I think, I think some of it comes from fear. You know, we, you know, we, we all get like implicit and explicit bias and stuff like that. So, but I think a lot of have like, they have like conscious thoughts about, about different, you know, and then um, if they grow up, like say, when I worked in, it was only at, it wasn't that many of us that was actually from the city, you know, it was the suburbs or from like a little small town where they never really interacted with, so whatever it is too, so it goes back to what you're saying, like, they would opinions based on what they see on TV or rap videos and stuff. When they encounter us, they just assume that we, you know, we are the same. You know, so I does play a role, and it does kind of cause uh, some people to be. To, but I don't think it's an excuse to, you know, to make some of the decisions they out here making. When I went when I went to college, you know, I was around all different kind of people, you know. And I just think a lot of cops are missing those cultural experiences where where they've done you only need a high school diploma to be a police. So a lot of these dudes they graduating or the military and all they know is, you know, take orders or structure and they've never tried to deviate from that. So they don't even really know how to be people for real. Yeah. Man. So. Yeah. I know in your book, you mentioned uh, specifically when you were working for Flint, um, like the white officers, basically they come to work and then they go back home, but you're of the community. Right. You have to police different because you in that community and you, you're not going outside. Right. When you log, I mean, when you check off a check out for work, you still in the community. You're not going somewhere else. Yeah, that's a good point. It's tough for me because I feel like, you know, like uh, seeing y'all seen the movie Paying Full. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, great movie. Great yeah, film. that's one of my favorite. That's like so. Like being just being from the city, like I, you know, I'm driving down, driving down a night shift on a summer night. I, I feel like Money Mitch, man. Everybody know me. They like, okay, oh, it's <laughs> like, you know, like I had, you know, I got a lot of love and respect because rather see me do it than like somebody else, right? Because they like, man, he always been a good dude. Me, like with my family, um, living in Flint. Uh, it was just, it's just so much history to Flint. You know, it's like my daughter go to school in Flint, my wife work in Flint, my granny. I could pull up to their house on the ship, get some food or whatever. So it was, I feel like 
for the people who who don't have that experience, they can come into the city or any city and they can treat people any kind of way because they know they ain't gonna see them for real. It's like I could do my, I would always do my job, but I would always the possibility that I might run into this dude again, you know, yeah. at a park or something like that, and that could happen. Um, where on a summer night, I think this was back in like 20, um, so I hadn't been on a job that long. We went to a, we went to a popular club, rowdy, I mean, fight shootings, stabbings, whatever, you, you name it. So we get up, we get out the car. Um, it's already some officers there trying to clear out the lot. He on a whole nother tip. I mean, he, he drunk, it's his birthday, he got a pocket full of, we trying to escort him off the property. And so as we escorting him off the property, are fighting, you know, with the officer that grabbed him initially. So, you know, we over there to, you know, try to put hands on him and everything to get him in handcuffs. So we got once he handcuffed on the ground, another officer on like the the, the grass area, he walks over and kicks my man in the face for the everything. So I'm looking up like, what, what is you on? Like, that wasn't even that couple. I get he running his mouth and saying things, but he can't even defend himself. You know? And if the roles was reversed, you know, that's a arrestable offense right there. You know what I'm saying? In that moment, you know, we couldn't really, we couldn't really, you know, try to control the chaotic scene. But when I had an opportunity to, Address the super white man. That that shit ain't cool, you know. That's not cool to do things like that. A short time later, um, I ended up celebrating my tenth Flint, obviously. Guess who I see at the reunion? Huh. My man, they got. So he there. He with his people. He with his wife. I went to school with his wife, so she know me. And he went, he all mobbed up with his dudes, you know, duty. I'm drinking, having a good time with my sister. And I see them looking at me from across the field because they already know who I am. And when that situation happened, it frustrated me because I'm like, I ain't even, I didn't, I didn't injure this man, you know, yeah. but I still live in Flint. And you did this, and you going back to your community where you not you not have to, you know. So that was like a uncomfortable experience. Happened, but I mean, we definitely locked eyes, and it was just like <laughs> one of them unspoken things. You know, cop, did it be that? And I'm like, okay, you know, what can I do? <laughs> you know, but. You was over it's there just, like it's just What's like up? Yeah. yeah, I'm just like, look, you here, man. You know? So and we had later and he ended up he ended up winning some money, you know, because he got kicked in his face. So So I know that you I was I'm sorry. Oh no, you good. Uh I was gonna say some of the things that you talked about is, you know, 
how you became a police officer. One, your dad, you know what I'm saying, was a, a, a police officer, but also how you wanted to to change and, and impact the community. And I think, you know what I'm saying, you mentioned in the book, like you thought it was just going to be, you know what I'm saying, a cakewalk. Like I can just put on my suit and, and my badge and my gun and, yeah. and, and go change the community. But you ran up against a ton of obstacles. Do you feel like you've impacted your community or do you feel like, well, obviously there's still a lot more work to do, but I just want to get your perspective on that. I well, like it's a lot more work to be done. Um, and one thing, my dad, um, he was like, you know, sometimes, you know, standing up, you, you know, that you might be standing alone. Mm. Um, and I, I feel like that's true, you know, because. You know, everybody doesn't have enough courage to, you know, to be like that. I don't want to say eyeball, but it's like, nah, I'm not going for this. I'm not, this is what I believe in. You know, some people, they might shoot you a text, like, I can't publicly support you, but, I, you know, I feel the same. What I think for the time that I was in the city, uh, for the people that know me and my family, I was working on the streets and working in the schools that I left uh, a very good, you know, in my work. Um, so much so that when I when I decided to leave the Flint Police, you know, they they pretty much were asking me to stay. You know, like please stay. You know, opportunities coming up, but I just knew um, that it was time to move on. Um, as it relates to as a whole. I definitely think it's a lot of work to be done, especially like uh, our minority communities, not just in Flint, but just across the country. Just like diversity, like just cultural sensitivity, bias, and just all of these things that that people are conscious of, like not conscious enough to make to make the switch. So. I feel like myself and some other like-minded officers that I've met that's willing to just do the doing the wrong thing or or doing you know doing the wrong thing thinking somebody to it. So um, you know, me and my wife <laughs> we argue all the time about these uh, you know brutality videos um, and talking about it like you know. You know, I hear her perspective. She always be like, you know, oath to, you know, y'all swore oath to protect and serve and have integrity and all of those things. That's really true, you know, and I feel like if you're doing the opposite of that, you know, it's like it's being, you know, being in the, being in the job, you know. Um, that we see our politicians and our police officers and judges and all of these authoritative roles that's doing the opposite of what they, you know, move for. Um, so I just try to lead by example the best way I can. What so, uh, oh, go ahead, B-Dub, you got it. Now, I'll just, I'll just go on, um, ask him about, I know you spoke earlier about <laughs> the qualifications. So let's just say I'm coming out of high school and I want to be, join the force. 
Mm-hmm. What exactly do I do and how long is the process? So it all kind of like every state has uh, like a different police life. Again, it's called MCOs, which is like Michigan, Michigan Coalition Standards, right? So anybody that's a Police officer in Michigan, MCO certified. Um, it, it varies from agency to agency as it relates to age, but most agencies will uh, to join the force. So, so you graduate high school, you got your diploma for that agency. If they accept, you know, eighteen, some some might not accept you. Too. You pretty much just, you know, fill out the job application just like you would um, anywhere else. It's, with your background checks and drug tests and and different things like that but criteria in Michigan you gotta take like a like a written test basic grammar nothing crazy uh, and they kind of rank you in um, different and then you also take uh, like a physical agility test which is also very so upon completing that you go to a police academy. Um, it's very like the police academy I went to was 16 weeks. Um, so about four, you know, to be responsible for, you know, the livelihood of others. And then you got to be like six months, you know, depending on like the agency and, and what they're. So it all kind of depends. But in my opinion, it's, it's a very short amount of time to be, you know, policing some um, communities and stuff. And I don't, I was old enough um, to be in a capacity like that because you even fully develop, you know what I'm saying? So to be in that role, you can't, you can't legally, uh, you know, purchase ammunition or carry a gun concealed or anything of that nature. So it's like I don't I don't really think it's the, the best move but do it. Mr. Wheeler, I was gonna ask you uh what, what prompted your departure from the Flint police department? Uh I kinda feel undervalued there, man, to be honest. I say that is because I worked really hard, like every day. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like a, a time I went out there and I just wasn't, you know, like putting on or doing all the odds professional. And I wasn't out here getting in trouble. I had no scandals behind me. It was was kind of like a. It was just kind of like you know, certain like retention. A lot of people was were leaving and going to different agencies. They held over a lot, um, and again, it was just uh, it was a lot of high crime. After a while, I just kind of got mentally taxing, mm-hmm. and I found out that I had a baby. So I was like, man, I just I need to put myself in a better financial position where where I can actually grow and uh, and do a little bit more. So and and kind of set aside the fact that I you know I had three general family a family there. I just decided it was it was time to move on. And it was because when I left, I felt like I had that like 
survivor's remorse feel back there like still struggling and and, and working hard um i got better with that decision and i was like you know i i just had to make the best movie and uh, I, i'm not looking back at this point yeah i can dig it yeah hey kian there's a um chapter in your book uh it's titled they hate me and i believe this was the mm-hmm. the part where you start where you got into the george floyd incident um and you mentioned, I believe, earlier in the conversation that you know what I'm saying you're a black man, but as a police officer, it's described as blue. And a lot of times when we get into these discussions, they talk about, you know, black lives matter. The response is blue lives matter. And I ain't gonna lie, man, like that pisses me off. Because blue is not a it's, right. not, it's not an ethnicity, it's not a person, it's not a gender. But there's right. so that that's how do you feel about that, like that term when like blue lives matter? What does that mean to you? To me, it don't, it doesn't really mean um, anything to me, like per se, like I'm not, like I know that I'm a police officer. I understand like what they mean when they say it and what they, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm a police officer. So because I'm a police officer, I'm I'm and my life matters just as much as as this person's life. I kinda think it's bogus to a degree just simply because they kinda turn it like a competition, right? Where it's just like Yeah. I've heard I've had coworkers and they're like, Okay, well black lives matter then why do y'all why do y'all kill y'all kill each other? Right? And they'll start conversations like that. And the first couple of times I was encountered with a conversation like that, I ain't gonna lie, like I took it real prompt was very <laughs> emotional. Like, man, you got me, you know, you got me messed <laughs> up, like but then I started like looking beyond like what he said, like the like the narrative um, that's kind of like painted of us out there, like whether it be like our music or what we do in entertainment and like what they see us doing is who they think we are. They think we're all like that. Um, when a police officer kills somebody, it's like, oh, y'all only want to uh, kill someone, but when, when such and such shoot somebody, for step I'll have nothing to say. So for a minute, I was cause just a lot of a lot of the violence that I did experience in Flint and it just always so happened to be us against us. But I never identify with the slogan like, oh blue lives just I think it's insensitive. Um, to use that against what the what the under behind Black Lives Matter is, and you know my thoughts on it. Can't stand if I when say, question. Can't stand when people say, "Why do we kill each other? Blacks kill it, kill blacks, right. kill whites. Just, Everybody does right. it. Actually, a lot of, a lot of that stuff is 
I think murder is like a, a crime of like proximity. You probably doing it, killing people that's close to you. So, I mean, every, every race does it. It's just not black folks just killing black folks. That's right. a stupid, stupid saying to me, man. Right. I mean, statistics. Yeah. <laughs> that's just kind of. Oh, go ahead, Kia. No, I was just saying, like, that's just what the media, like, put out there. You know, yeah, you he's never like, hear the stats on white on white crime yeah, or on Asian crime. You don't. Because they don't, they don't want you to hear them stats. Yeah. And there's, you would see an article like uh, in Chicago this weekend. It's like, okay, it was a school, it was a, it was a gay club, you know, or whatever it might be. It's just like, I just think what the media puts out there, just like it further, like, you know, like moves that moves that narrative that we just have not really that's not really the case and it's really frustrating because like you're saying like times about um like proximity and like where you are like it's it's all killing each other but somehow black people killing each other is just always that you know true yeah. um, as it relates to as it relates to cops killing Killing it's, it's blacks killing blacks, and then they always bring up Chicago. That's that's the two yeah, points they bring up right there. I yeah. swear, <laughs> Chicago and blacks killing blacks. Yeah, that is it right there. It's yeah. gotta be. It's gotta be another talking point for them, man. Besides them two right there. Yeah. Um. It has to be your 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 book. Like I said. It's my first time meeting you. It's all of our first time actually connecting. Um, but your book is really introspective. Uh, I feel like I know you just by reading the book. And uh, I want to, and if you're not comfortable talking about it, we can move on. But you had a chapter, the rock bottom chapter. You know what I'm saying? And it was a, a, a situation uh, where you were you were at your low and you made a phone call. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? And, okay. And, if, like, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, it's crazy because I was just talking to my homeboy about this the other day. We was just talking to a guy we knew um, that that appeared to be in good spirit, right? And he was this very sharp guy. And so I, um, that particular chapter in the book where, man, I feel like how I got to that place, you know, I feel like I had just been going and going and going, like doing my things, such things, like not trying to bring um, some of the stuff that I uh, that I was um, trying to navigate through some of the struggles that I was having at home. Uh, I remember that night, man, I was just, I was at home by myself, man, and like for advice. You know, you can call somebody like, oh, man, I'm doing this, you know, but that just felt like I, I feel like I had already tired, tired everybody out expressing my concern about things. And, you know, everybody had those, like, cliche responses, like, man, just pray about it, things to get better. And I had convinced myself that things would, you know, and for so, for so long, I had always like avoid uh, just going to therapy or, or whatever it was like introduced to that night. When I had struggles growing up, my dad would just be like, keep 
that's what make a man or whatever it might be. Um, and but we never feelings and stuff like how do you process this? So on that particular night, man, I had I'm like, I'm gonna call him. You know, I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call this suicide hotline. Suicidal. You know, I didn't seen a lot of stuff. I didn't experience a lot of stuff. And nobody where I'm coming from. My, my family don't understand. You know, I feel like everyone when I called, and they put me on hold, man. What? <laughs> yeah, man, I was. What? I'm telling you, man. I was. I had to. I actually, I read that page back three times to make sure I was reading it right, man. I'm like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. Damn. They put me on. And it was in that moment where I was like, it was like a little voice that was like, he's coming to save you. You know, like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pick yourself up. And I just on a period of time. Just thinking about all my problems and stuff and how I feel like, um, you know, just get out of them. And, and that was just like a very sobering moment for me. I sat, I sat in my, I mean, for hours, I was just sitting there just like processing everything. Just like, okay, how do I myself out of this space? Like, how do I move forward, you know? Um, so Google chapter for me to write, um, just really because of the vulnerability, um, exposing myself to, you know, cause a lot of people don't like to admit to, uh, low. When I put it out after the book dropped, man, like so many, like he thought to me, like, man, I was feeling the same way during this time. And I just always been and I feel like uh, that I was really kind of helping people, you know, are open and honest. Um, and even though I didn't have a plan or anything or how I was going to do it, just a, it was just a feeling I couldn't shake. So, um, so yeah, I was like, it felt good to get it out just because it was something on for a while. But, but yeah, man, I... Since then, I to try to control my my inner peace with stuff like uh like uh, being around so much death and, and seeing so much tragedy all the time, like something like un inexplainable to your mind, you know. I felt like I just got real hot of emotion. I wasn't really turned on to certain things that I normally wouldn't want. It was just. It was just a very dark space, and no matter how hard I tried to climb out, sinking, sinking in deeper and deeper. So, tell you what, what really, what really pulled me out of, I think I just started being there. Like I gotta get through this, you know. I was like, if they gonna put me on hold, then keep going. Cause clearly I can't depend on them. This they only job. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, thank you so for sharing, that man. We that. appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. It no was, problem. It was deep, man. I'm sitting there reading. It was like, you know, I called the hotline and I was on hold for 20 minutes. That's crazy. I'm like, what? I'm like, I, I don't know. I guess 
obviously I, I, I've never called, but I would just assume that they would have a sense of urgency when somebody does call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot can yeah. take 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, second. for sure. Yeah. That's deep, man. So, Keon, um, what's – once again, I, I thought the book was powerful, man. I, I, I really enjoyed it. What's next for you? Um, once again, like I said, reading the book, I, I, I feel like I, I know you because you you were very you were really vulnerable in the book and you gave the world a, a, a lot of you in the book. Um, so what's is I mean, is the long term goal to, to continue in, in in policing, law enforcement? Like what's next for you? Great question, man. Honestly, like. Um, you know, being a law enforcement officer, and I, I've talked to my close friend, uh, just like one something different, but kind of feeling stuck, right? So, master's degree in public administration, I got that like seven years ago this year. And so, when I got my master's degree, I got it under the condition that I was going to just walk into this, like, six-figure job and going to take off, and it didn't really flow that way for me. So getting into law enforcement, I simply because, you know, I really need no degrees to be that, right? So when I initially told that my education was going to pave all of these ways and I was going to move on, everybody would pick me up. Only to find out that it just made me more more of a target, you know, um, just because people were jealous of that. You think he is coming here with all his education? Well, I ain't go to school, but I'm doing just as good as he. So I started, like, feeling that envy. Uh, and then I realized that um, I wrote the book that I realized that I could be more. Uh, I had got so, I got so, like, inundated in, like, being a police officer that I just felt like that's all I had to be, outlet or creative expression. Um, and so I had this book idea at the time I started the police academy, but I kept procrastinating, procrastinating. And it was that low, that low point that I started writing. And I to be a confident guy, but I didn't really know, like, what people was going to think when they read. Like, man, you should have kept this shit. Like, I, you know, I was thinking of all this <laughs> negative stuff. Because <laughs> in school, when I was in, in grade school, I wanted to be a writer, you know. But I, I'm like, I ain't know. New York best time seller or whatnot. <laughs> so, and I saw, man, all of these people just came. I think I sold like two the first, the, the day of the book signing. Like, I was just like, that's crazy, you know? And then I started like getting people was reaching out to me from different different avenues. Like, hey, so it's about this, we want this, we think you should do that. And it wasn't really in December of last year that I felt like I could really branch out. So uh, my biggest goal 
for the years just to continue, like, becoming who I am, like, you know, breaking free from those those expectations that people have where they um, just keep tapping into my creative side. And I'm, and I'm currently uh, starting my second book, you know. Uh, a lot of people wanted me to on some of the stuff that that was in there uh, as it relates to like therapy, depression, um, just policing overall, and that made me feel good. You know, I done with the book, and they was just like, "All right, cool. Like, what's next, though?" You know, it was I bought it, never reading the stuff again. You know, <laughs> better luck next time. It was like a so. My biggest goal, man, is just just keep putting myself out there, uh, taking opportunities where I can speak uh, on different platforms uh, to see where that where that takes me. I'm not really I'm not really pitching hell to law enforcement when I first started. Like somebody call me tomorrow and be like, "Hey, we got this. We working as a behavior specialist." And it's a comparable pay, and I'd be like, "All right, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's <Wow>. where I'm at." <laughs> well, I'm, right. I mean, I, I I can say that you're doing it big. You're on the world's largest beer and pop culture podcast, so you know. <laughs> hey, hey, that's a step, man. Yep, yep. I just ain't had my beer today. <laughs> well, when you drop that second book, you know you can come back on and, and give us a you know a review. Oh yeah, we love oh, to have you back. Sure. Yeah, man, you definitely sure. definitely welcome back anytime. Um, but uh, once again, becoming me with Keon Willer. Uh, I know it's available on Amazon because that's where I got it. Um, drop your socials. Mm -hmm. How can people connect with you? You know, get a copy of the book, or you know what I'm saying just just chop it up with you. Like I said, man, I was excited to talk to you because we was pre pod. We were talking about man. Over about the last two decades since, you know, Internet and and police brutality has been a big thing and we got camera phones and we can see it instantly. Like we haven't had an opportunity to talk to any anybody in law enforcement. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's good to you know I'm saying to to get somebody on who has that that perspective and is in the field. And it's actually it's, to be honest, it's good to talk to a black person. You know, what I mean, because. You are a black man, so you right. understand the challenges of being a black man, but also you have to balance. You are this police officer, and there's a certain expectation and responsibilities that right. come with a police officer. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I ain't gonna lie, I couldn't do it, man, because I, I think the streets would have yeah. too much, man. Like, nah, man, like this. It, it just ain't never been cool, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, plus, plus you a little bit of a hothead. He's, yeah. Uh, Man, yeah. I ain't gonna lie. But, nah, never mind. You'd be, you be done popping. You. you be out here like the wire, dog. Robbing drug dealers. He'd be like Denzel, man. He'd be riding around all clean. Oh, I was just gonna say Alonzo, man. Yeah, he, yeah. he, he would know, clearly it be took me, It took me. It wasn't until I got a little older that I realized that that was only one day. That was a hell of a day, man. That was a hell of a day. Like, you, all that happened in one day, I would have quit. I'm like, I'm done. I can't do it. 
Hey, we, we got to give Keon good. his props real quick, man. And in, in the history of our show, we always ask people at the end to drop their socials and all of that stuff. This man put it in the chat. So it <laughs> yeah. appeared on the show, man. That, that's a first. That's an H and S first, right Mike there. Drop it, <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, I thought you said, oh, I can Oh, you want me to say it. You just say it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it was so sweet I how got, you did it, though, man. Like, everybody can see it, too, man. So, <laughs> so I got uh, – so I'm only on Instagram. The key to success. Know. I saw so it. my you Instagram I mean? success, right? So it's Q-U-I underscore T-O underscore. Um, for those who can't spell, that's two C's and two S's. That's, that's, that's a difficult word to spell, man. It always trips people up. Yeah, so um, and it's a website. Um, obviously, the book is available on Amazon, but I do arches on my website, which is uh, www. Uh, how many W's do I say? It was three W's. <laughs> 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 So Q as my first initial um, dot com and you go on the on there and you can uh, click the link to directly purchase the book. Um, what I've been doing is kind of like signing the book uh, for those who purchase on the website. And I put their name showing my appreciation uh, for those who purchase. But if Amazon is an easier route, uh, you just type in becoming me. And you'll see like a list to come up. So just look for the black white cover. And oh, you can't miss it. <laughs> hey, hold, that, hold that joint up again, man. That's yeah. dope, man. That's dope. Yeah, like I said, it's a dope book, man. Um I got one here <laughs> too. Yeah. I still got I got the like I said, I got the back pages where you had like friends and family write you letters and reflections. I still gotta read that part, but mm -hmm. like I said, man, it was a it kept me engaged and it was a I started at about probably like 9.30, and I was up to like midnight because I was like, man, I, I want to be well-versed when I hop on this podcast. And I just kept reading, man, because like I said, man, you it's really introspective. And I didn't expect that. Like, I didn't expect you to be so vulnerable, and I didn't expect you to talk about some of the things that you talked about. Um, but definitely, I would have, and we didn't really touch on it, but you really go and, you know, start talk about the therapy and all that. And that's something that us as Black men, and, or Black people in the entire culture, we don't we don't talk about that a lot. Um, so I definitely I'm advising anybody that can pick it up, pick it up. All right. Real easy read. Um, but once again, man, we want to thank you for joining us, taking the time out to to share your story. Uh, it's probably been a little therapeutic for us because we ain't had an opportunity to talk to anybody in law enforcement, man. We, oh, we, ain't, we haven't been. A, <clears throat> excuse me. We haven't had a chance to kind of express like some right. frustrations with the system and, and how it is. And like I said, man, that, that Tyree Nichols thing, I ain't gonna lie, man, it, it messed me up because I've never witnessed black men right. with another black man. And it, I lost. Right. Cause I used to, I used to say it all the time. I'm like, man, we need more, we need more people in our community to police our communities. We need more black people. After that, I was like, man, nah, they all, like, they all the same. I'm like, it's the culture of the police. I'm like, it's not black or white anymore. Right. It's the entire culture of policing, and I no longer have faith in policing. But to have a brother like you on here who talks about, hey, I've spoken up, and here's what happened when I spoke up, and I've tried to speak up, and it goes, 
know what I'm saying, it, it's it's overlooked or, you know what I'm saying, you get, you know what I'm saying? You get kind of blackballed in the in the system. Like I understand. Like it's it's hard for people to speak up, and we'd be fighting this fight forever, man. I, I just kind of how I feel. Hold up. I mean, yeah. so once again, thank you for joining us. This is the Hops and Stocks podcast, uh, episode seventy seven. Yeah, yeah. We are signing off. Seventy seven. Peace. Peace. Appreciate y'all, man. I appreciate you, man. Now. podcast is presented by hunter smoke media group we encourage our listeners to drink responsibly please note we are not financial advisors we do not offer or provide financial advice trademark copyrighted by hunter smoke media group